Luke 2, 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You may be seated. I want to talk to you about Christmas reflection. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. A Christmas for many people has gotten a little complicated. It's become a busy time of the year, and we've really turned the simplicity of the birth of Christ, a baby born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, into one of the busiest seasons of the year. Lots of good things that go on, but lots of things that go on. And I'm not really here tonight to preach against the festivities of Christmas that we as a, with families or a church uh, do, but the busyness and activity of all of that has probably robbed us of reflection, of time to really ponder, to keep some things in our hearts. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, the practice of pondering. That's probably one of my favorite words I like to think about what Mary did and the importance of really weighing things out, of giving God an opportunity to speak to us in the craziness of our lives. Mary observed, she pondered what she saw, she kept it, she stored it up, she marked it in her mind, and she saved it up. We also read in the Christmas story about Joseph, who thought on the things that he was facing, and it gave God an opportunity to speak to Joseph about God's plan for his life. So tonight I really want to just remind all of us the importance of pondering, of reflecting to our spiritual, emotional, mental, and relational health. There's a vast difference between being spiritually intuitive, sensitive, and you know, listening to the voice of God. There's a time to act. But there's also a time to wait. I'm not talking against listening to the voice of God, hearing that voice, and quickly acting on what we hear. There are times that we should be quicker to obey the voice of God. But there is a danger when we're given to impulsiveness, to being too impetuous. The book of Proverbs, I want to give you just several verses that use the word hasty. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalts folly. Do you know people that are just way too quick on the trigger? Whether it's making a purchase, getting angry, making a decision, jumping into a relationship, jumping to conclusions, that's the most exercise some people get. Is jumping to conclusions. <laughs> Proverbs 21.5 The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but everyone that is hasty only to want or only to lack. Proverbs 29.20 Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is mo more hope of a fool than him. So in a lot of ways, and I know there's a balance in Scripture and a balance in behavior, but the Bible teaches that we should be the kind of people that are not impulsive, that do not rush to judgment, that do not jump to conclusions, that don't jump off the cliff emotionally and charge God foolishly, make poor decisions, we should be the kind of people who are reflective, who ponder, who are not hasty in our spirit. I think it's important to create space in our lives to, to ponder, to be quiet before God. When we teach about prayer, we always try to say that prayer is not just talking to God with the shopping list, but prayer is also listening to God. It is creating an openness of spirit where God can speak to us. It most often would be a prompting of a scriptural principle to our lives, to our minds. 
We hear the voice of God most clearly when we hear it through His Word. Whether it is heard, meditated on, memorized, and coming back to us, the spoken Word of God. To hear the voice of God in this complicated and cluttered Christmas season is what I want to try to emphasize tonight. So to get there, I want to just rehearse a little bit of the Christmas story, uh, mostly familiar, but maybe not. And the Bible's pretty clear that we should remind ourselves of things that we already know to keep them fresh in our minds. And I hope that over the next few days as we approach Christmas, that you rehearse the Christmas story with your family and all of its purity and its simplicity. Now, the angel Gabriel was very busy in this season of history He had visited Zacharias, that priest, to tell him that his wife Elizabeth was going to expect a child. Six months later, he comes to Mary, a virgin, who lives in Galilee, that fertile farmland. It's kind of the backwater region. They evidently had an accent that you could tell that they were from there. Remember the Apostle Peter, they knew that he was one of Jesus' disciples, because his accent gave him away. The Galileans were looked down by the Jews of Judea as being less spiritual, less sophisticated. The temple was in Jerusalem, and so the locals thought of themselves as superior to those Galileans. It's interesting, when God got ready to work, He went to Galilee to find someone who was not caught up in all the religious rituals of the day, someone who had simplicity of spirit. Gabriel goes to Nazareth of Galilee. Luke one twenty six says that in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin engaged or espoused to a man named Joseph who was, house, who was of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now I'm going to Simplify the story, not the detail of it or the depth of it, but just the content of it for where I want to go tonight. At first, when Gabriel approaches Mary, she is totally afraid. Most of us, if an angel appeared to us, maybe our first impulse would be to believe that we've done something wrong. Because a lot of people live with a little bit of guilt in their lives. We're well aware of our imperfections. So Mary's afraid. But... Gabriel says that you're highly favored, the Lord is with you, and you are blessed among women. She's troubled in her mind. She's wondering what kind of a greeting, what kind of a salutation this is, that an angel would come to her. She thinks she's probably the most unlikely teenage girl in the world. Now, Mary is a virtuous young lady. She's never known a man. She's godly. When we read this story, we know that she knows the Bible because she quotes it in her song called the Magnificat, a Mary. And uh, she's a very godly young lady. She's engaged to be married, but she's kept herself pure through all of this. Gabriel tells her, fear not, you have found favor with God. I've often wondered what Mary did or what she was that found favor. In other words, it's not just that Mary was of the right family. She was also of the lineage of David. But she had lived in such a way that attracted the attention of God. And I've often thought about how I could live in such a way to attract the attention of God that when He got ready to do something really great, that He would knock on my door, that He would come to me that he would want to use me to do something special for him. This was not the luck of the draw. This was who Mary was, but it was also how Mary lived. She's a pondering soul. She's a humble person. And now the angel Gabriel makes a promise that she's going to conceive in her womb. She's going to bring forth a son. She'll call his name Jesus He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give unto Him the throne of His father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. In the words of salutation that Gabriel gives to Mary, he mentions a house, a kingdom, and a throne, the three promises that God had given through the Old Testament to David, and now Mary knows that this baby that is going to be born of her is going to be the Messiah that God would send to the world. He would be God in the flesh. His name would be Jesus. He is like the Joshua of the Old Testament. Joshua delivered the people of God from their enemies. Jesus will deliver them from their sins. His name means the Lord saves or Jehovah has become salvation. He is God Almighty in flesh. Joseph will learn that his name is Emmanuel, God with us. We'll get to that a little bit later. You will reign over the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. Mary only has one question. How shall these things be? You've told me that I'm going to have a baby and I am a virgin and I intend to stay that way until it betrothal, this engagement to Joseph, is consummated in a proper marriage. How shall these things be, seeing I know not a man? She's not balking or unwilling. She just doesn't understand how this is possible. But Gabriel gives Mary the answer that is always the answer. And I preached an entire message about this some years ago. He says the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you and the power of the highest is going to come on you and that holy thing which is going to be born of you shall be the Son of God. I want to just pause to kind of apply this point right now that we always want to know how shall these things be? Because everything that God has ever called us to do is humanly impossible. We cannot do it in our own ability, never have been able, never will be able. Everything that God has ever called me to do has been something that have just called me in over my head. I knew my inadequacy. I knew I couldn't do it. But Mary's answer is your answer that the Holy Ghost is going to enable you and empower you and do what you cannot do in yourself. Gabriel gives that answer. Gabriel goes on to talk about Elizabeth, Mary's cousin. Elizabeth is so old, she cannot have a baby. But now she's expecting a baby, John the Baptist, that prophet of God. And Gabriel gives Mary these words, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Elizabeth was barren, but she's not barren anymore. It's interesting to me that throughout the Scripture, very often when God wanted to send someone special, He sent that special person through a barren woman. A woman who could not make it happen in her own physiology. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, or Abram, was barren. Rachel, the wife of Jacob, was barren. Hannah, the wife of Elkanah, was barren. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was barren. And in our own lives, I found that the greatest thing God does is often comes through our barrenness and our inability and our impossibility. So God always takes you to a place of knowing there is nothing you can do to make it happen but the Holy Ghost. But God steps in on the scene and He makes it happen in our impossibility. Babies from barrenness is a sign of God's ability to create something out of nothing. And it happens that way in our lives too. Luke 1 38, these verses are not on the screen, but the, the angel says, or Mary says back to Gabriel, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Those are wonderful words. That when God comes to you and speaks a promise to you, He calls you to do something that is really out of your league, and He tells you that He's going to make it happen. Your part in the Christmas play is to say, Behold, you know, here I am. 
handmaid of the Lord, the Son of God, well, you know, one of God's men, young men, be it unto me according to thy word. Mary had to say yes. And you have to say yes to God's plan in your life. And when Mary said yes to Gabriel, said yes to God, Mary was willing to accept the consequences of being a young girl in her day was expecting a baby before she was properly married. She would be misunderstood. Mary and Joseph would be maligned. Jesus would be called an illegitimate child. She would share the suffering of her son. Later, Zechariah would tell her that a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That the hearts of many be revealed. Mary, when she said yes, she said yes to a rough ride of several days from Galilee to Bethlehem. She said yes to the birth of a baby in a barn. She said yes to the will of God. But just because she said yes to the greatest thing that had ever taken place in all of human history, it didn't mean that there would, everything would be perfect. It didn't mean there would be no discomfort. It just meant that she would be a part of the great plan of God and all the tough things that go along with it. Well, in Luke 2, we realize that God Almighty to bring his plan to pass, speaks to a pagan king and he calls for a, tenth, a census and a taxation. So everybody has to go to their ancestral home. Mary and Joseph are of the house of David. So they are going to have to go back to Bethlehem. And so God strategically moves them away from their home. They're very poor. They're betrothed, which is different than engagement, but that's the best way we would relate to uh, Mary and Joseph's state right now. Their marriage had not been consummated. And they have to make this long journey because they are of the house and lineage of David. Mary's great with child. We don't know exactly how she gets there. You like to think she rode on a donkey. The 70 plus miles they go. While they're there, the days are accomplished that she would be delivered. She brings forth her firstborn son, wraps him in swaddling clothes, these strips of cloth, lays him in a dirty feed trough because there's no room for them in the inn. There's a whole lot to that verse. If we were writing this story, we would probably write a whole book about the journey and the inn and the animals and the swaddling clothes and how cold it was and all of those circumstances. But God wraps all of this up in a single verse to tell us about the adverse circumstances into which Jesus Christ was born. Now, there are shepherds, common men, abiding in the fields, watching over their flocks by night, and they get an angelic visitation because God doesn't leave anybody out of the Christmas story. The shepherds get this angelic announcement and then the skies are filled with angels and they tell of this and the angels go to visit this little baby. They say there's a sign that you're going to find him. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger and the skies are filled with these angels. and They sing glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men and as soon as the, shepherd, the angels leave, the shepherds go to Bethlehem to find what has come to pass. And they find Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now I know in the Christmas story it's convenient to put the wise men, the magi, right here, but they really don't come right now. They find a young child in a house. Joseph is evidently out working when the Magi come, but right now it's just the shepherds. And the Bible said in Luke 2.18 that all they that heard it wondered at those things. But here is our text, verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary observed what happened. Mary remembered the experience of the angel 
conception of Elizabeth, the birth of John the Baptist, all these supernatural events, the shepherds that come from out of nowhere and they've seen an angel and they tell the story to Mary. Mary would need this. Mary is going to go through some tough times. And Mary needs to file this away. Mary needs to keep all these things. You know, have you ever forgotten something God did for you? Then you run into another tough place and you're not sure if God is going to come through for you or not. But if you file it away, if you remember what God did for you in the past, it will be a faith builder and a reminder that God never has failed you, that it is impossible for God to lie, and that without God, with God all things are possible. Amen. Mary kept all these things. She didn't have a physical day timer. She didn't have Evernote. But Mary made sure that she didn't lose what God had given her. And not only did she keep these things, Mary pondered them in her heart. I want you to see verses 18 and 19 because you see what I think is a contrast between what others did and what Mary did. And I know it's fairly conspicuous right here. Verse 18, And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things. They wondered, kind of passed by, just another thing that happens in Bethlehem, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now I want to do just do a drive-by of another time when Mary is like this. It's at 12 years of age for Jesus. They take Him to the temple. He confounds all of these scholars there by hearing them and answering their questions. Joseph and Mary are three days down the road or before they find Him. And they come back and they scold him. He goes back down to Nazareth and he is subject to them. But Luke 2.51 says, And he came with them, came to Nazareth and was subject to them, unto them. But his mother Mary kept all these sayings in her heart. Mary is a pondering soul. So let me just talk to you about Joseph a few minutes. Matthew 1 and 19 on the screens. Then Joseph, her husband, now we're going back a little bit because now I've already got Jesus born, but this is Joseph's perspective. He's a just man. He's not willing to make Mary a public example. And he's minded to put her away privately. The first impulse Joseph has is to divorce Mary. And even though they're not married, they're betrothed. And to break and betrothal required a formal ceremony. It was a little more complicated than just saying, hey, I don't want to marry you. Goodbye. Thank God and Greyhound, you're gone. I mean, this was more serious than that. Joseph is thinking about this. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. If, if Joseph would have been impetuous, if Joseph would have been trigger happy on this decision, if Joseph would have not thought about the right thing to do, if Joseph would have gone straight to the priest and said, we need to stone this woman, we need to make a public example out of her, and while we make a public example out of her, I'm protecting my good name. That really didn't seem to cross Joseph's mind. He's thinking that. You know, what I may do is put her away privately. I love her, but I'm not going to marry a woman who's been unfaithful to me. 
She's been messing around on me. I'm not marrying her. I'm not taking the shame to a woman that's expecting a baby that's not mine. But I don't want to humiliate her. I'm a better man than that. So he's thinking about this. He has to think about it long enough to go to sleep for God to speak to him in a dream. So my message tonight is about reflection. It's about giving God time to speak to you by not being so quick on, with, on the trigger, not being so impulsive that you do dumb things and not give God time to get through to you. Not being hasty of spirit. Joseph was a man who thought about it. Who gave God time to speak to him. And I think this is a very important trait. Now when Joseph agrees to obey the Lord and take Mary his wife because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, he is now to the public he is kind of admitting to be the father of Jesus. Now he's not, but publicly he's accused of that. They say of Jesus, one time, we're not born of fornication. Like you are, we're not. So they believe that Joseph, and Joseph has to bear this shame. His name is marred because he agrees to be part of the Christmas story. And Matthew 1.25 tells us, that he knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. I want to just make a little point here, kind of a sub-point. There are people that teach the perpetual virginity of Mary, but Mary and Joseph conducted themselves as husband and wife after the birth of Jesus. And Joseph and Mary had at least four other sons and two daughters, and there were kids born into this family of the normal union of Joseph and Mary, which is just what a family should do. Now, I want to apply this just a little bit tonight, the story of Joseph and Mary. There's a, there's a passage in Lamentations that, that I like, and I'm kind of jumping into the middle, you know, the Lamentations of Jeremiah. On the screens, Lamentations 3.25 in the New King James. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. I like this verse. And I believe that this verse alone, Lamentations 3.27, teaches the importance of a young man or woman getting having responsibility. Now this is totally off my subject, but I, I can't help myself because I'm a pastor. There's a lot of really spoiled kids in our generation that have never lifted their finger to do anything much. And the Bible says that you need to bear the yoke in your youth. When you're young, you need to have responsibility. And I think it needs to start early and gradually increase so you develop you know, physically strong shoulders and mentally strong shoulders that you can carry a load in life. That you're not all grown up and still mooching off your parents. Well, anyway, that's true. <laughs> Verse 28. You know, see, the thing that you have to learn is that the quieter a congregation gets, the more a minister feels like he is on to something. So if you really don't want a minister to get on to you, just like, amen, like I got it, you know, and then he's going to think, oh, they got that. Verse 28. Let him sit alone and keep silent, for God has laid it on him. This is kind of what I want to highlight right now. This young man who's bearing a yoke needs to learn how 
get by himself and think, ponder, weigh things out, be reflective, and then let him put his mouth in the dust, there may yet be hope. So Lamentation says that a young person needs responsibility, but a young person also needs to take time to think. Now, you know, years ago I was a youth pastor, and I read that for many young people, they're very impulsive in decision-making, and their frame of reference for decision-making is now. And it's often based on emotions, how I feel now. And one of the goals is to extend the reference point for decision-making beyond the now, to think about the consequences of my decisions. Because kicks always have kickbacks, right? That whatever you sow, you will also reap. Every decision has a consequence. Every decision either has a positive consequence or a negative consequence. And Lamentation says that a young man needs responsibility and he also needs to learn to sit and think so that he'll have be healthy as he grows into adulthood. Now, a few months ago, I was ministering at a funeral, and there's a passage of Scripture that, that came to my mind as I prayed about it. It's a little off track in a way, but not so much. And I want to read it in the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screens. I want you to just kind of process this about, you know, what we would really like to do with our time and what Solomon in Ecclesiastes says as the most value to your life. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool only about having a good time. So Solomon says, you know, when you go to a funeral, when you go to a party, you're not really thinking. I'm not talking about a crazy, wild, ungodly party. That's another subject. But if you go to a party, the whole idea is to have a good time, to have fun, Maybe an escape from responsibility or life or all of that. But it's just to enjoy wonderful times. There's nothing wrong with that. But Solomon says it's better that there's more value to go and do a funeral than there is to going to a party. Because when you go to a funeral, you're thinking about death and what happens after death. And we all know that it is appointed unto men once to die. And after death, there's coming a judgment. So... When you're at a funeral, if you've got a brain at all that's working, you're thinking about, oh my goodness, one day it could be me. One day, outside the catching away of the church in a rapture, it will be me. And what happens after that to me? And the clock is ticking on my life. And that person was young and they, they lived their life and they passed away. And in the course of ministry, you know, I've preached funerals of people of all ages. And I don't want to go into detail with that. But I, have, I have never attended a funeral or ministered at a funeral that I did not leave better. I think I always leave better. If the person is someone I believe was saved, a good saint of God, I learn from that. And if a person was a rascal, if they were unsaved, if they were a heathen, I learn from that. Solomon says that, that you need to just take some time to think about it. Mary kept all these things. 
And she pondered them in her heart. And Solomon says, you ought to attend some funerals. And, and you know what? Here I go being a pastor again. I know, I know that it's difficult to get off work. But I really wish, when it was possible, that you would attend the visitation. Some people call it a wake. Wake of people that are part of our church family. Try to attend the funeral. It means a lot. I know it won't mean anything to you when you're gone, but it will mean a lot to your family. For your church family and friends to come support them. And not try to answer every question that you might have about why you passed away, but to just say, I love you and I'm praying for you, it means a whole lot. Solomon says, you know, it's really better to go to a funeral because you'll think about all the stuff that you're doing in your life and what you need to quit doing and what you need to start doing. And you'll learn good and bad lessons there. I'm talking about Christmas reflection. Mary and Joseph, who are the main characters, you know, uh, outside of Jesus, of course, of this story, that both of them, the Bible is very careful. And, and I, I love the Bible, and, and I know that it's true, that nothing is there by accident. You know, we don't know, we didn't have to know that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. We don't have to know that for who are to do that. We know that so we can learn what Mary knew. Mary would watch her son die. Mary needed to remember the supernatural things that God had done. So I want to just remind you tonight that Mary kept these things and pondered them and that Joseph weighed these things out and he gave God time to speak to him. So let me ask you a few questions. Are you like Mary and Joseph? Or are you hasty of spirit? Do you leap before you look? Do you speak before you think very much about it? We are supposed to be slow to speak, right? And slow to wrath. This is the Bible, I'm not making this up. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. When you are faced with an unexpected circumstance in your life, how do you respond? Or maybe I should say, how do you react? There are some people that, and anything happens in their life, they expect the worst, think the worst, and they just, like I said, they jump to conclusions. But if you have trust in God and faith in God, or even if you're struggling, keep these things. Ponder them in your heart. Be like Joseph when, when your intuition, your human intuition says to do one thing, wait a while. Give God an opportunity to speak to you like he spoke to Joseph. Are you hasty and impulsive? Or are you reflective? Do you think? Do you ponder? Do you give God time to speak to you? The Bible teaches us that we should meditate on the Word of God, that we should hide the Word of God in our hearts, and that when we meditate, we're thinking God's thoughts about Himself. But I'm really not talking tonight about meditating on the Word of God. I'm talking about giving space in your life and opening your heart to God. That when you're praying or just living your life in general, that you have some quiet time in your life. The lens through which you see life should be the Bible. Everything you see should be viewed through the lens of the Scripture, that your worldview should be a biblical worldview. It is the Bible that educates our pondering. Does that make sense? While I'm thinking, I'm not just thinking random crazy thoughts, I'm giving God time for His Word to speak to me, to stop me from doing something foolish. And it is the Bible that informs all of my pondering and my reflection. Like Mary, you have to ponder the predicament that you're in. Like Joseph, you have to consider the decisions that you are facing and ask God to step into your circumstances 
and to give you supernatural direction that is based on the Word of God. We live in a super noisy culture where for many people, maybe not you, but for many people, there is always something talking to you. I just watched a fascinating clip about the agenda of Hollywood to shape the thinking of America. It goes all the way back to Roe v. Wade. It goes to same-sex marriage. There is an agenda of the ungodly people of our world to teach you and preach to you and make you think a certain way to condition you. Several years ago, I did an entire series about the dumbing down of the church. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but they have been dumbed down and they think more like the world than they do the Bible. And they interpret the Scripture through their opinions and through their feelings instead of interpreting their feelings through the Scripture. The Scripture should be the locomotive that drives, not the caboose that follows. It should be the thing that informs every decision you make, every value you embrace. It is for, the Word of God is forever settled in heaven. Amen? And is the foundation and is basis for everything. So anyway, we live in this crazy, noisy world. And all day long today, while I've been in a mode of preparation, you know, I can scroll down and I've got news feed after news feed and thought many showing up right now. But all day long, somebody's trying to tell me something. Those are all news feeds all the last few days. There's someone always trying to tell you something. And if it's not news, then it's somebody that's texting you or emailing you or it's a Facebook notification or it's an Instagram post someone's made. And not all of that is evil. I'm not here preaching against all of all the social media and I'm not doing that. I will tell you that there's some of you follow people and you're, you're being ungodly by the people you follow and the stuff that you read and listen to and look at a lot. And you need to change your behavior because you're not a Christian at all. And some of the stuff you're, you're watching and reading and people you're following, you're not a Christian at all in that. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but that is not Christian behavior. That is sinful behavior. Well, anyway, that just kind of jumped on me, but... Okay, it's true, it's very true. You got all this noise. And some, some people do media fast, social media fast, and media fast, so that they are not controlled by all that noise. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you should turn it off, turn it down. Separate yourself from the constant messaging to hear from God. Uh, this time of the year, uh, well, I was going to say a couple of things here. And I'm, When I was in Bible college, I took the better part of a day. And the, the college campus was right next to a lot of woods. And back then, there's no cell phones. I just took, I'm not even sure I took a pad and paper that day, and I like to jot and write notes. But I just went out and I said, I'm going to spend the day just walking and praying, and, and don't judge me, but I like to hunt. You know? So if I'm in the woods, it's just really hard for me to just be walking in the woods. I think I come from a hunter-gatherer tribe or something because I want to bring something home. I want to catch it, clean it, cook it. So for me, that's an effort, you know? So I just spent this day with God. And I will tell you that I was so bored. But, you know, again, it's not even the same day as we live in today. It's changed so much. But I just, I just told myself, you are going to spend this day walking and thinking and praying. I'm a Bible, I was a Bible college student. And I remember walking away from that day with some insights on faith that I felt like the Lord had put in my heart, my heart just kind of being in the woods. Just a few weeks ago, you know, I had an opportunity to, to do that again, to just go in the woods to hunt. And when I'm there, you know, I, I know I, I could be reading my Bible 
and I read my Bible and study my Bible. I could be sending emails. I could be reading books. I have books and the Bible and all of that on my phone. But mostly, and this is just me. I'm not preaching you have to do this. But for me, the solitude of several hours of nothing going on. I'm not trying to solve a problem. I'm not trying to think of any one thing. I'm just kind of letting my mind air out. And I have learned that when I do that, things that maybe I do need to solve just become so clear and simple. Several years ago, maybe 10 years or so ago now, I preached a men's conference in Argentina, and the local pastor there took the other minister and I on a hunt, Red Stag in Buenos Aires province, Sierra de la Ventana, and it was on a 1,500-acre working cattle ranch, and no electricity. They ran a generator, and pretty primitive, you know, and uh, because I thought it was so important, I rented a satellite phone that cost me personally a small fortune. It was a terrible decision. <laughs> you go out at night and see the stars. I mean, seriously, you feel like you can reach up and just grab them like that. It was an amazing thing. And day and night, we were so very busy. And after I harvested, you know, the, my red stag on, on Friday morning, the day that we were going to come back home, I just remember waking up, and just like that, I said, there, there are five things I need to do. And I jotted those five things down. I don't even remember what they are now. It was so long ago, several years ago. But all of a sudden, what was so cloudy became so very clear. You think about the days of Jesus, but you're, you're walking down the road. There's hours of just solitude and nothing. Paul being a prisoner on a ship where you're days of sailing, days of sailing, and there's just, there's just hardly input. You don't have news of anything for days and days and days. And in our world, if we don't know what's going on from minute to minute, we feel like we're so out of touch. And I'm not saying that all of that is sinful or evil. I'm saying that I think there's some things that can be lost that we need to recapture. There are some things that we need to keep in our mind and ponder in our hearts. There are values and decisions that need to be embraced, but do not come with being too quick in making that decision. We need to be like Joseph who thinks on these things to give God an opportunity to speak to us. Would you just bow your head right now? I don't know when you need to get quiet before God. And I don't know where you can best reflect on the things that matter most in your life. Solomon said maybe it's at a good funeral. But I want to encourage you. Whether it's during some of your commute time, early in the morning, Late at night. A few hours that you can just separate yourself from all the noise and yes, even all the people. Be like Mary to keep all these things and ponder them. Ponder them in your heart. Be like Joseph, while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. I just want to leave it right now for just a moment of dead silence. You can pray under your breath or lift your voice if you want, but I'm talking about for me or music I want you to just take a moment for God to speak to you tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
And would you just thank the Lord for His voice in your life through His Word and through the Spirit that speaks to us. Would you just thank the Lord right now for His voice in your life. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. A voice that stops us, Lord, in making a mistake. A voice that encourages us, oh God, we are on the right track. A voice, oh God. Hallelujah. 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 Would you please stand right now? And uh, if you're able, would you just kind of join me at the altar? I know our worship team is trying to figure out what song fits this message. And Brother Brandon and I emailed back and forth today to discuss this. Amen. If you have a few moments you'd like to gather, you can. Amen. You know, Pentecostal churches are known for noise, right? going to be noisy in heaven, the voice like the sound of many waters and mighty thunderings. Remember, sometimes we're looking in the fire and we're looking in the wind. We're trying to find God. But then there is a still, small voice. You cannot hear that still small voice. Unless you're in a mode, position for God to speak to you. Amen. 